Hello and welcome to the CEO of Blind Spots show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Mike Warshaw, who's the president of several companies. One is the Warshaw Capital Company, which is licensed to be a full-service mortgage provider in 10 states. He's also president of the Lycon Group, which is a private equity investment firm that provides both traditional and non-traditional capital for companies wanting their next level of growth. And Mike, you're also president and partner in other companies, but I'll just say welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be on your show. I'm so grateful that our mutual friend told me about you and it's public information so people can check this out. But at 19 years old, you were the youngest independent financial advisor at UBS Payne Weber. Then at 21 years old, you were the top producer in the state of Connecticut for a Fortune 500 company. And then at 24 years old, you started Warshaw Capital. And, you know, I know the the mission that's stated for Warshaw is to serve customers with honesty, integrity, and competence. And our mutual friend who's an investor in some of your companies is the one thing he said about you. He's like, uh, with Mike, I don't need even an agreement in writing. His word is golden. And I don't hear that very much anymore these days. So tell us a little bit about, is that the key to a lot of your success? Or what would you say? are some of the reasons you've succeeded so well. Yeah, it's been a long road. And as, as you can imagine, it's been an evolution personally and professionally for me along the way. I think that honesty, integrity, and just kind of an overall attitude of doing the right thing um, is especially being in the, the mortgage industry is is why you know I'm still around to tell the tale. When things took a turn for the worse in, in 2008, the industry basically imploded and a lot of it was due to, to fraud and kind of malevolent practices that were happening in the industry. And I refused to partake, even though there was obviously a lot of profit to be had there and it had become, uh, unfortunately, the industry norm. I lost groups of employees to other companies who kind of had those practices kind of baked into their model. And we refused to partake. And that's why I think that we're, we're still here today. So, so yes, on a kind of micro level, situationally speaking, that's very true. And then more on a macro level, those attributes, uh, I would say, have have been noticed by the right people. And through those people, you develop relationships that are built on trust. And uh, once you have relationships that are really foundationally built on trust, business just gets easier. You know, if there's a deal that needs to be funded, it's almost like family. You just pick up the phone and, and there's just this level of trust. And because of that trust, it just makes it much easier to operate. Yeah. Well, I'm of course curious, what had you realized the importance of keeping your word? There was always just kind of this inner compass. There was just tremendous resistance around dishonesty. And that's just always been there. And it's not something that, that I really noticed or paid too much attention to. It was just kind of was. And as I've gotten older and, and I've developed personally and, and professionally, it's, it's become more apparent to me that, that that has really been the kind of the foundation that's kind of kept things moving along on the up and up uh, for, for all these years. Yeah, well, it's interesting because this show is obviously called CEO Blind Spots, and there's an assumption that it's always about the negatives, but sometimes or, or frequently leaders have a blind spot in the positive. So I just heard you say that, well, I, I just realized later on how important that was, <laughs> not that you said, hey, I need to build trust. So, but of course, now I have to ask, 
ask you, did you ever struggle as a leader in leading people or what, what were your struggles? Every day. <laughs> every, 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 day is, every day is a learning experience. I really do believe that, that life is here to challenge us, not necessarily to, to show us a good time. I think that if anyone tells you that, that they're not challenged in the position they're in, they're either lying to you or uh, should be making a move. <laughs> yeah. And I can just to rewind a little bit in my, my younger years in the, the beginning of my career, I was kind of operating more from place of grasping. Quick background, I grew up with money. My family business went bankrupt when my grandmother passed away. She, she was the matriarch and patriarch of the family, basically, because my, my grandfather had passed before I was born. And she passed away and left the business to my father and his brother. And won't get into details there, but things did not go very well. And, and the, the company was in bankruptcy about 24 months later. I was 16 or 17 at the time and really had, had no choice but to step up and, and try to, to save the family. I grew up in a very wealthy area in Westchester County, New York, and, and we had a house there with a mortgage. And we had a, my uncle had sued us for hundreds of thousands of dollars, which had become a lien on mm. the house. So I had to basically save the house from foreclosure and, and save, save the family. And, and I was a young kid and that's how I, so I got into finance. That was the, the path forward of most kind of viable path forward. This was when you could, you know, become a stockbroker and make money. So I started my, my career in finance at a very young age. And, and the goal was to save the family. And uh, I did that. I, I ended up buying the house out of foreclosure. I think I was 21 at the time. <laughs> and the money just kept on coming. And I was very, I guess, driven to have the biggest mortgage company in the world. I wanted, I wanted, it was a very kind of egoic endeavor. I wanted Warshaw Capital and Times Square and signs, you know, I had all these, these visions and we were on a rocket ship and then 2008 hit and it was, it was time to kind of go through that struggle again. It was a very humbling experience. And within a few years, we had, we had turned it around. Most of my colleagues in the business had gone out of business. So it was, it, it really was a war and uh, that no, no one really thought that we would be able to survive because it was kind of the bigger you were, the harder you fell at that point. Mm -hmm. But we, we just didn't quit. And against odds, we, we turned it around and, and we started having record years again in, in around 2013 and 14. And, and around then, when the money had come back and I'd kind of been through what I'd been through, the money and the kind of the outward success had just become much less important to me. And I was, it was very easy for me to see that more money wasn't going to equate to more happiness or more peace. And from there, I, I kept doing what I was doing, but I, instead of working from a place of grasping and wanting, I was more grounded in presence and I was, I was more involved in the creative process and I was operating more from a place, I would, I would say, of love than of fear and really kind of watched things transform in an unbelievably positive way, both professionally and personally after kind of making that shift. Hmm. So Mike, it sounds like you've learned a lot of lessons. How did fear 
impact you before in terms of leading people or hiring people and and how's it different now as a leader yeah i think i think the main thing i was very hesitant to bring on high level management just with the due to the cost associated with with the hires i was terrified of that torpedoing the bottom line and and effectively creating financial problems for the company and for myself personally and once i stopped kind of projecting myself into the future and trying to figure out what would happen from kind of a defensive posture it was i I more operated from from presence and i was able to really once the fear was gone i was really able to to see clearly what needed to be done and i just did it and i didn't really think twice about it if it's like okay you know we we what what would make the process better what would make the platform be able to carry more weight oh well that that would be a processing manager or that would be an underwriting manager or or whatever it is well those those people cost well into the six figures and it's like cool we need one so let's do it right instead of <laughs> instead of worrying about it and wondering and thinking about all the potential disastrous possibilities that would happen if we bring on a half million dollars of of payroll in 6 months and I was able to really pragmatically sit down and just pull the trigger on it and understanding that it's going to kind of create more bandwidth for growth and that's really exactly what those decisions did and my only regret is that i didn't do this sooner Mm. so it sounds like when you say presence meaning doing the next right thing based on today is that what you mean yes but more more like based on right now i think that that everyone Mm. including myself we're we're really we spend most of our time in the future and the past kind of toggling between these two dimensions of thought when when we, we kind of miss what's what's happening right now and i think that the real, really sound decisions, they, they come from a, a place of, of presence and peace and not fragmentation and worry. And I think that you can really only have that peace of mind when you're grounded in presence. Well, what, what a valuable tip to share, especially as we start to wrap up the show, because a lot of people through the, the crisis we've been through, or several, you could argue, it's easy to, to worry about the future and and in some cases, wish for the good old days. So any last minute tips you have, we might be faced with another crisis again. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, I would say that fear is never, never a good idea. It's, it's never a viable option. So anytime you find your place, yourself in a place of fear, worry, or anxiety, you're, you're missing the mark. And just, just staying present, staying conscious in your decisions before worrying about yourself, worry about your staff. For me, peace is really my, my number one objective. And I think that at the end of the day, whether, whether people know it or not, we may think we're looking for something else, but at the end of the day, we're, we're all looking for peace. And in my world, and, and I think can speak for, for all CEOs and business owners, with a company that's not running well, with employees that are unhappy, happy, pers- either personally or professionally, you can't have peace. So my, my advice is to create a peaceful environment at work, try to manage from a place of love and compassion, and everything will, will, will fall into place. And stop, I guess, stop, stop worrying so much about the goal and lose yourself in the creative process. And, and you'll be surprised how everything that, that you wanted will, will just start kind of unfolding.
in front of you. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that, for being open about all all your successes, but also especially your struggles. And I can only imagine that there might be some people listening that may know people or maybe even themselves want to come work for you. <laughs> are you are you growing enough to hire right now? Yeah, or what's your we we just brought on a whole tranche of new employees, but on the loan origination side, we're always looking for good loan originators. And on the operations side, we're we'll, we'll always always open to conversations, and we'll we'll always take a look at a resume. And if we find someone that we just love and and you know, their their experience is is right, and we think they'll they'll make a good addition to the team. Again, we'll bring them on and, and grow around them. <laughs> very good. Well, now you just gave a very creative, uh, great answer. So, and it sounds like exactly what you said. You'll look and see whether it makes sense or not, regardless yeah, well, of the bottom line number. <laughs> well, that's that's right. And one one more thing that I think is important when it comes to to operations. What I've learned, and this is kind of segues into. To what we just discussed segues into this. I found that it's it's always better to be a bit overstaffed on the operations side. Being staffed just right or understaffed, you put yourself in a situation where you're really constricting growth. And when you have more operations than you need at that time, it creates natural pressure for everyone on the production side to grow the production. When you have, in my business, you have what are called you know, loan processors who process the loans that loan originators bring in. If we have, most companies just get rid of processors when volume ticks down. So with us, we look at that as just added pressure to, to bring on more production and increase production. That way, when business turns and, and ticks up, we're not scrambling to to find good people. They're already in their seat. So I think that that's important to put out there and something that I've I've learned the hard way over time too. So there is there is a method to the madness as as well. You don't want to find yourself on your heels or uh, in a position where you kind of get complacent. Well, in that case, I am going to also get the word out for people looking for mortgages and investors looking to invest because clearly you've learned a lot from your ups and downs and. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show and and share what you shared. And yeah, look forward to connecting you with lots of people. Very cool. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.